Hey, Sheila. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Saget? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have a plan. I like this All shit. Is it is a dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And we're ready to kick off Season 2, Episode 1 by talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Split. But before we get to that, I want to check in with my co-host Lee. How you doing, sir? I am doing fine. I, uh, I, 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 my car troubles are, are solved. That I, I know you're, you're the roof. The, 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 the no, no, I, that, that, that's, that's the trouble. That car is trouble. <laughs> it's gone. The whole thing. It's, it's scrapped. Right. That, that car is now gone. <laughs> so let this be a warning to you. Do not buy a Renault. <laughs> Oh my god! I was yeah. looking forward to so, seeing my ass You were down in a so Renault. eager, uh, and that I feel killed it. <laughs> uh, well, it, well, it does explain how their season went in Formula One last year. <laughs> mm, yeah, they have a habit of building shit cars. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was an old car, and I got it pretty cheap, and uh, so it, it's gone anyway. So me and Maria, we we went out of way. We got a we got a new car. So now we we both we now have a car each. So now I can go to work in a car like a like an adult, and uh, it's pretty good. I'm, it's uh, it's a Vauxhall Corsa now, which is like a. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Uh, I yeah, I would love to tell you. I think it's an English make. I'm not really sure. Vauxhall is a place in London, so I assume it has something to do with that. I don't trust it. It's not Japanese. It's yeah. It's it's like an adult <laughs> car. I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, <laughs> if it's the most adult car I've ever driven, and it's it's lovely, and uh, I'm very happy with it. And that's that's my car issues now resolved. How are you, Jason? <laughs> I'm doing quite well. Ah, semester's kicked off to a beautiful start. Uh, most of my classes are cool. There's a couple of pricks in there somewhere. But, uh, you know, I mean, it'll start showing once they get their grades. <laughs> <laughs> then who'll have the last laugh? <laughs> exactly. It's like, I hold the keys to your future in my red pen. <laughs> that has got to be comforting news to people who have always suspected that their teachers might be against them. They are. Jason's one of them. They're against you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not. I'm actually there to help most of the time. And I, I am most mostly... Most of the time. Most of the time. Well, I mean, I take a day <laughs> off. Okay? But most teachers take the entire weekend off. I don't. I keep my Saturdays uh, available, my phone, because they have an app now where the, the kids can message you at any time and I can oh, get okay, back cool. to them. Most teachers have a 24-hour policy. I say, give me 24 hours to get back to you, but I'll usually get back in 15 minutes. Right. I, I don't like waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and so if i'm going to use that i'm not going to make my my students wait either they're used to getting information right away that being said if the student messages me like at 10 in the evening i'm supposed to be available till 11 o'clock but i'll check the message to see what the fuck the question is if the question is about the assigned homework that he's coming in the next day oh, i won't man, answer rookie mistake <laughs> exactly i won't that answer that kid needs right? to learn answer. some ropes jeez <laughs> exactly. other than that i watched the super bowl cool i didn't 
I I never watched the Super Bowl. Oh, you never, never seen ever watched the Super Bowl. But I was sick this weekend, so I guess that explains that. Uh, well, what what did you think? Uh, I've never seen the Super Bowl myself. Well, it's one of those times that I I'm kind of glad that I'll be able to see that say say that I saw it because it was a really good good game. There's a history involved in that one, uh, but I had no stakes in the game. I'm not one of those pricks. Like I have friends that watch only the Super Bowl. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the guys from In Session are hardcore football fans. I yeah. think the guys from First Time Watchers are hardcore football fans. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I am assuming because they I've talk seen about them. it all the time. So I mean like I exactly. you can assume that they at least follow it week on yeah. week, you know. There you go. And so I tweeted out to JD. I was like uh, I wanted to know what team he was rooting for so I could go up against him. But then it turned out he was going for the Falcons and so was I. But at the same time, that wasn't true on my part. I didn't care. Yeah. Who won. I just wanted to see an exciting game. And it turned out to be a really good fucking game. Cool. I, I cool. like that in sport when you can just tune in and watch a, a really good game. And so, yeah. But I, like I said, I have these friends of mine that, that, are, that tune in just to the Super Bowl and they pretend like they know all this shit. And then they start taking <laughs> bets and they get angry. And then they start giving shit to the people that actually follow football if their team wins. And you're like, dude, you had no stakes in this. Shut it's the fuck up. These guys take what? it seriously. So anyway, I sat at, I, my girlfriend was knitting next to me. I turned on the game and like, uh, and uh, just watching the game, I, I took it easy and it was really fun. So yeah, I had a great time. Great. Looking forward to John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the week we're entering. How exciting. I am, yeah. I'm looking forward to John Wick too. I, I didn't see the Super Bowl. I, I've never seen it. I, uh, I don't understand American football. I, I've, I used to have a game on, uh, on my, on my Game Boy that I tried to right. teach myself American f- football through, but it's, it's like, it's like trying to teach yourself English through, sa- like, sign cards and never, <laughs> and never, like, hearing somebody ever speak it, you know? <laughs> uh, right, right, right. Uh, so I, I, I never really grasped the concept. Uh, at the same time, the Super Bowl is on in this country. It airs at some time like, like four in the morning. And if I can't stay up for the fucking Oscars, I, I can't stay up and justify the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> uh, I understand. I'm a racing fan, right? Yeah. Formula I'm... One sometimes comes on at three in the morning. I got to put my fucking alarm clock. Yeah, yeah. You, you've trained your mind to prepare for this. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's... Uh, we were cheating. Yeah, we're cheating. Because we're recording this now, what you're listening to now, a couple of days after we uh, recorded our feature presentation on Split. The reason we did that is twofold. The first, uh, probably the more important one, is uh, we listened... Jason fucked up. Yeah, we we listened back to the audio. (laughs) And uh, Jason's microphone, he had it set to the wrong microphone. He he recorded his discussion uh, on on, like a laptop microphone or something like that. Which, you know, isn't the worst case scenario, but, and for the feature, it's going to be okay when, what you listen to after this segment, it, you're, you're, you'll hear some background noise, but it'll be fine. Uh, but the, the first half was all over the place and we it basically had to scrap it and do it again, which is what we're doing now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but at least we're being upfront about it. You know, we're yeah. not trying to pull wool over your eyes. <laughs> it's a great way, great way to start season two. <laughs> yeah. Is just by fucking up the goddamn yeah, audio. Yeah, plagued by the audio issues that, that struck us at the beginning of season one. So, I mean... Terrible. Yeah, so we're right back to square one. Uh, this, look, a little, we're a little more professional these days. So, we're, we've devised a system that this isn't going to happen again. So, you can rest easy. Yeah. Quality from here on out is uh, is almost guaranteed unless something terrible happens. And you'll be the first to know because at that point, 
neither of us will know because we're actually looking for it. <laughs> yeah, now we're really looking for yeah, it. Yeah, so exactly. Anyway, I want to apologize to all of you out there. It's not it's not going to sound bad, I don't think, anyway. No, no. Because kind of a magician when it comes to sound. The thing is, is that for me personally and for Lee, we're like, oh, fuck. We don't want that. We want our regular yeah, sound, course. you know, because it sounds good. It sounds good when we sound good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It sounds good when we sound good. And I mean, nothing sucks more than shitty audio and this is not shitty audio it'll be okay but you'll clearly see a difference when we move on from this to the second part which we'll be discussing our feature yeah yeah but we also wanted to point out that after listening to or actually no after when we recorded last thursday because now we're tuesday so we're, we're there's literally five days in between after our conversation we've kind of realized and i think we mentioned it at the end which you guys are going to hear is that yeah. this is kind of a full-blown retrospective on Shyamalan's career yeah within itself exactly i mean we're, while we did start out with the intention of only comparing split and the village jason kind of kicks it off and that we kind of start delving back into some of the other films you know we unbreakable's there and six senses there and uh and obviously besides the village we also do a little bit of the visit for what we know of and and um right. signs as well so uh, those we do we do actually linger on a bit and then we we could you could touch on the other ones from the themes we discuss in the episode itself mm-hmm. and when we kind of thought about well, what if we were ever to do an M. Night Shyamalan retrospective in the future? Uh, we kind of realized we'd probably be just covering the same ground, you know? Yeah. Mostly kind of retreading much of what we've discussed in this episode. So we decided, uh, yeah, I mean, not that we're forbidding ourselves from going back to Shyamalan in the future, but we feel this kind of covers all bases when it comes to the man's career. Uh, at least to generalize what he is trying to say in the majority of his films. And right. so we feel kind of happy in saying, this is your M. Night Shyamalan retrospective. Yeah, with an asterisk next to it, with an asterisk. But but for now, and he, he's already slated, you know, you saw it pa- go by on Twitter as well. He's already got an 11-page outline for his next film. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? So so we just, you know, it's kind of cool. Maybe we'll be able to touch more on, on, on that stuff when that film comes out, maybe in uh, two years' time. You know, you never know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you'll gather from the conversation as well, we are more than ready to go back to Shyamalan at any given oh, yes. opportunity. So, uh, yeah. realistically, we're just waiting for the moment. But at the same time, uh, we feel comfortable in saying that if you want a, a quick, digestible overview of the man's career to date, uh, yeah. and that date being the start of 2017, mm-hmm. then you absolutely have a sort of basis point with what our discussion goes into. And then if we want to get into specifics or comparisons later on down the line, we can absolutely do that. But it's not going to be like the PTA retrospective, put it that way. Obviously, most of the conversation is going to be around Split and uh, the one that we wanted to pair with, The Village. Those are the things that we had prepared for. So like Lee said, we covered most of all the bases that we needed to do for now. And I want to mention quickly that this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy review of Split. Yeah. And Sixth Sense and... And Unbreakable. And, and yeah, uh, all of them. All of them. Shyamalan's known for it. He's known for his exactly. spoiler warnings. And uh, exactly. this is no exception. And actually, the audio that you're about to listen to, we say this anyway. So good. this is your pre-feature warning. But if you skip this section and go straight into it, you're going to hear this again anyway. So don't worry. You're covered, awesome. uh, whoever you are. <laughs> cool. So audio issues aside, I want you guys to get ready. We're uh, going to be playing a couple of uh, promos for some of our friends out there, followed by what I wanted to put, which was the trailer for The Village. Yep. So I'm going to leave you guys on that, 
And once you get back, you're going to be in the feature film discussion. Uh, the two guys that you're going to hear have no idea that these two guys recorded <laughs> what you guys just heard right now. So this is us understanding what happened and just rectifying everything so that when you guys head into it, you'll know what you're getting into. So without further ado, we'll play this stuff and we'll be back with the feature film discussion on Split, The Village, and M. Night Shyamalan as a whole with a retrospective asterisk. Enjoy that. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. We have always had, since the day we settled here, a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders. We do not stray into their woods. They do not come into our village. I have always pictured them in some ways as our protectors. They have allowed us to live here, nestled amongst them in this untouched place. By the markings we find this morning on our homes, I feel they were warning us. We may question ourselves at moments such as these. Did we make the right decision to settle here? I fear our days of peace are over.
us in a way that I shall never know. Welcome back. We hope that you guys enjoyed the trailer for The Village. So, we're going to be talking about this in no particular order, but I necessarily have to tell you guys that this is going to be a spoiler-heavy review and dissection, I should say. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. That's, that's what we do. And we've, we've, we've made no bones about that with films in the past. And most of the time, it doesn't feel like we have to say it, but Shyamalan's that particular breed... Uh, a filmmaker that a lot of people do get a lot out of his twists, and there is one in Split. Uh, whether you care or not might not be the point. It's just the fact that you don't want to know until you know. So we'll probably talk about it, uh, or at least to some extent, what it even means, or what, 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 how we felt about it, or how you might feel about it. But at the same time, if you are, if you feel yourself likely to be upset by knowing something you don't want to know, tune out now. Come back after you see the film. Then let's talk about it. Oh yeah, I mean, well, well thank you for listening later. But that's it. We've never made any qualms about the fact that we spoil everything that we talk <laughs> yeah. about. And the reason why we spoil it is because it gives us more uh, freedom to really, really look in depth at what's actually being communicated throughout the films we decide to talk about. Definitely. And so that's it. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. You've been warned spoilers? If you want a spoiler-free review of Split, if you're the kind of person who knows they're going to watch a film, but also, for some reason, doesn't want... You know you know enough of, that you're going to watch the film that you don't want to hear about the spoiler, but you also aren't sure enough that you have to read a review to find out what somebody thinks about it before seeing it, then I guess I have a non-spoiler review on Big Picture Reviews for you to read. There you go. No, but it doesn't matter. Lee writes well when he's not, like, using run-on sentences. I write that's perfectly good. when I write run-on sentences. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, last warning. So uh, I'll just give you the cast of characters that are going to be in Split. Uh, Split was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was released in early January, but that's why we're talking about it right now. Uh, it stars James McAvoy as... Kevin. Kevin essentially is the, the basic personality that this guy has. And uh, he plays a, a multitude of characters in this film. Uh, and he's wonderful at it. It's also Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, who yeah. is a Morgan, I believe, that you saw. And the witch. It's just three three in a row that is she's just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I didn't even like Morgan, but I, she was great in it. <laughs> you know, she's great in Split, man. Wow, what a oh, presence! Uh, Jesus, I actually, I actually wow. have a chill right now on my arm at, at how wonderful I think this young actress is. Definitely, definitely. Um, I forgot the psychologist's names or the uh, or the psychiatrist's name in, mm. in that case. I don't know if she actually prescribes drugs or not, but uh, that's it. I forgot her name, but she was tremendous in the film as well, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, and as for the village. Okay, because we're going to be doing this. We're going to be wandering between both because we want to talk about Shyamalan, his messages, and what he gets into and through his films. Yeah. And so for The Village, uh, it stars William Hurt, Joaquin Phoenix, Bryce Dallas Howard, Adrian Brody, and Brendan Gleeson. Uh, there are a couple other characters in there that I really thought were wonderful. I don't remember their names, but I remember they were in the stage production with Paul Newman of uh, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Right. So if ever you guys get a chance to watch that, I don't remember what year it came out. Maybe it was, uh, I think it was 1998. No, it was 2008. Uh, Paul Newman is one of his last stage performances that was actually filmed. It was a beautiful fucking movie. Right. Moving on. Uh, first and foremost, we will be talking about Split just so that you guys get a, a bit of a sense of how we felt about the film. And uh, then we'll be moving on towards The Village. But we're obviously going to be talking about other films that M. Night Shyamalan directed. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this over to Lee. Lee, what did you think of M. Night Shyamalan's most recent film, 
split. I um I really enjoyed this. I like I I just like Shyamalan, man. I, I unabashedly have I've, I've pretty much liked most, like almost the the vast majority of his films, at least. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. I, I I'm sure, like I've never really seen him critically. You know, I'm only starting to do that now. You know, I'm actually right. sitting down and reevaluating the films I've seen before, and I've seen a lot of his films before I did that. But uh, you know, it's, one of my favorite films of his is Unbreakable. Uh, in fact, that when you asked me before we even started the show about one of my top 10 films or something i think you did it for um real table talks you were generally asking yeah. people uh i i said that unbreakable was in their top 10 films i mean I, and i know Absolutely. it's not like it's not high art it's not like what it's not like oscary you know it's what people want to see but it's a film that i have just i just get you know i just loved it i loved it from start to finish i could watch it any day of the week it just it's it's kind of depressing, I guess, but it always cheers me up. I don't know. I, I, it's like it's it's way past the point of being a subversion of the genre for me, you know, where it's just a, a goddamn well good made film, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, most people that actually enjoy Shyamalan's work consider Unbreakable to be his masterpiece. It's the one that yeah. most people will go back to. They'll say, yeah, Sixth Sense was was a, a, a fun thing because we'd never really Definitely. seen that type of film before, especially with the twist that, that, that comes at the end. But Unbreakable, the, the, the way that the narrative is constructed is such a beautiful way yeah. and way ahead of its time. This is the year 2000, the same year that X-Men came out. And this is a superhero film she, in Yeah, disguise. you're totally right. And you're like, <laughs> wow, how the fuck did this guy predict five years ahead of Christopher Nolan trying to drench everything in terms of realism? Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. drenched in reality. Okay? Shyamalan did it first. Let's not forget that he is the one that set up the superhero genre that we know today. The one that we understand because these superheroes are part of our world. Shyamalan ahead of the curve definitely definitely uh yeah so when it comes to split i you know apprehension it's a horror film not my not my go-to genre you know uh Shyamalan does it usually in an accessible enough way that i've enjoyed it i've not seen the visit i know it's like straight up horror uh i haven't seen it. i know that it's comedy horror as well i guess and split kind of has a little bit of that going on <laughs> but you know six sense is supposedly a horror I, I you know i watched that as a pretty young kid and i didn't find it that scary i know my dad was totally terrified by it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it is for some people. It's not for me. And I think Shyamalan does a good... He, does, he balances horror well because he tells stories with it, you know, and uses, yes. utilizes it well. And I think Split does that perfectly, you know. Like, when it comes to horror, this is exactly what I want to see in horror. I want to see fun... Not fun in exactly subject matter, but at least fun takes on crafting a narrative with the, with the, with the range and the depths you can go... By just being depraved, you know, and horror right. does that, you know, it, it, it's basically like saying the limits are farther apart, higher and lower, go nuts, you know, it, it's it's far more of an open genre, maybe too open sometimes, and, and ironically, sometimes very narrow-minded, uh, usually with filmmakers, but Shyamalan knows how to use it well, and I, I appreciate that. To me, it was a film that I was just into. I just was super into the characters. I loved what he was doing with the twists in the narrative. And I mean, like, I don't mean, like, how Shyamalan does twists. I mean, like, how he was essentially crafting a mystery every single second somebody spoke. But it yeah. never got to a point where it was confusing. You know, we weren't lost in the story this was a very straightforward narrative a very small cast uh, and each of them had a story or a purpose 
and you were constantly guessing, why are they here? What is this about, you know? There's the obvious part where we're guessing what's with Kevin, what's his ultimate plan, you know? What's, right. What, what are the personalities trying to gain from kidnapping these girls? But then you're kind of wondering, what's with Casey? What's with the psychologist? You know, what's what's with the two girls? Do, what's, what's the story? What happened to the dad? You know, where, where are we? Where is this? How far along is this in Kevin's treatment? You know, little tiny things. And you're, you're given the answers. Sometimes it's they're right there after the question. And sometimes they're just lingering long enough for you to build a small amount of suspense waiting for the answer. Right. But nothing is ever dragged out. Everything is perfectly timed. And to me, that I was just so invested in the mm-hmm. teasings of these stories. And then when it gets to the end, all said and done, and I had already picked up on um, the the sort of sub-narrative what I wanted, like, that I want to talk about uh, on the show, and I was super happy with that. It went somewhere else as well, and I could see that, and there was, I'm sure there's more, and I loved the writing and how breezy the dialogue was. At the same time, there was a twist, and it was unexpected for me and I, I won't say I was totally shocked because I kind of was like I, I, bits and pieces here are saying like this is unbreakable and bam it was it, it's it's a spin-off to unbreakable and I was like well that doesn't for me that doesn't ruin anything I I left the cinema like buzzing because like oh my god it's it's even tangentially related to the film I love you know and that, right, right. And I just got such a high out of that but when I when that buzz died down I just appreciated that it didn't ruin the story that I had invested it in it just was there it was just a thing it's a nice little contextual overlay that I appreciate I can't wait for you to break that down because um, there are people that are on the opposite side of the fence with regards to that that the ending um, did kind of reshape the way that they saw the film right uh, they can't they can't take it as as uh, as these uh, these two separate stories essentially right. mm. I um, I enjoyed the film as well I went with one of my friends long story short let's let's do this it's gonna be funny because it's a horror film uh, and now having seen it it's more like a psychological thriller than Definitely. it is a horror film yeah. because this is one that I could stomach the same way as I could stomach Halloween and there are parallels to that as well there's parallels to Dracula we'll be able to get to as well more of the gothic nature of bringing horror into a specific genre to me this is M. Night Shyamalan's film that resembles The Shining the most and uh, it'll be interesting to be able to talk about how those hallways play into U.S. history but my initial thought when I was watching the film and that that ending uh, that you talked about just there, where it actually leads us into Unbreakable, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I don't want this. This is not what I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Unbreakable is, is 17 years after when I saw it. I was 20 years old when I saw Unbreakable. I remember how I felt when I came out of the movie theater going like, wow, this was interesting. I really liked that. Yeah. However, now I'm 17 years later where I'm suffering from superhero <laughs> Yeah. Wrong <laughs> time like, to bring oh, back no. Unbreakable. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, what are you doing? Don't do this. But at the same time, uh, I'll agree with you that it didn't ruin the rest of the film for me. Hmm. Uh, but it, well, I'll, I'll give you this, though. My my girlfriend, however, when she got to the end and then she saw what happened, she was like, what the fuck is that? And that's where I thought it was a little bit weird because as a main uh, audience goer, a person that necess- hasn't necessarily seen Unbreakable, she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who is that guy? Why is why is this guy in the film? Well, this is a spoiler review. Fuck it. Why is Bruce Willis there? We didn't see him for the entire fucking movie. Why is Bruce Willis there? Why are you happy? That's essentially what she said to me. And here I am. I had invited one of my good friends, the guy that I usually make short films with, and he brought his girlfriend and he hated the fucking movie because he hates Shyamalan. It's like the dialogue is shitty, which is something you liked. He said the fucking, the, the way that the horror tropes are incorporated is fucking shitty. 
which is something I like. You like, yeah. he was like, ah. <laughs> but he's a weird guy. I love him very much, but his taste in film is 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 awkward. <laughs> Sometimes he'll he'll suggest shit to me. I'm like, I'm not watching that. Fuck you. Mm. You know, lesbian vampire killers. I'm like, what? Why? Plays with and the genre, so, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so does this. And so my initial take from it is I loved how I felt throughout the film. Yeah. This is definitely a film that had me really glued to my seat. My eyes were open the entire time and I wanted to see what was going. There was a genuine terror there the entire time. And I thought that was cool. He really builds the tension with fear, terror. You never know what's coming. My girlfriend can testify that too. She really loved the film because when she was watching it, except for that that twist ending where Bruce Willis shows up, (laughs) she was like... She was like, I really like this. And part of that is definitely through both these characters, James McAvoy's performance as Kevin and also Anya Taylor-Joy's performance as Casey. Yeah, absolutely. Riveting to watch. I mean, they it's just magnetic. I mean, she like she's like a whole character study to herself, which is great. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and and it's not even simple. It's it's there there are so many ways you could read what's in that performance, you know. You could take mm-hmm. that in a million directions and that's that's a sign of a good performance. And then James McAvoy's performance was something like a like a Peter Sellers or something, you know, just Oh wow, good comparison. Just craft, just being able to totally switch and yeah. with the same face be wholly unrecognizable. Each personality, you didn't have to know their voice to know who they were. You could see it mm-hmm. in his brow. Body language. Yeah, he just he had it to a T where you never doubted who you were looking at, even if they didn't say a word, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the, the film fucks with that as well, because then you have those personalities playing other personalities. There you go. I, I mean, love that. Incredible. And he pulls it off because you can see mm-hmm. it and you know it. Even if you haven't seen the character he's pretending, you can see this character is strained. And there's something about him that's off that you could just about visualize who really is beneath because you already knew one of them. You can see mm-hmm. how they're pretending. Oh, it's incredible to watch. I mean, it's 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 a proper old-timey performance, you know. It's a real classic actor's actor role. Exactly. I, I love that as well. A lot of people would come out and say, ah, some of his things is cheesy. or yeah, like he's, He gives a hammy performance and stuff like that. But I think that if you're going to be doing a genre picture like this that is going to kind of bring up old horror tropes or old psychological thriller tropes and stuff like that, why not? Why not go all the way? Yeah. This is something I wanted from McAvoy because, as I had said before with you on the show, is that I am not totally convinced that this guy is grade A material. Sure. Split kind of disproved that for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm officially on the McAvoy train now mm. where I could see him literally transform in front of me and go like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Yeah. This was really cool. Absolutely. But that's it. I don't know. I, I Just that scene when he's sitting in, in the Dr. Fletcher's office, mm. when, like you said, he was playing a character. You have Kevin who's possessed by Dennis, who's impersonating Barry. And Barry's the fashion designer. You know, he's, he's slightly, well, I'll call it effeminate. I'm sorry if I offend anybody. That's not what I mean. But I mean, that's how I learned the term. Sure. So if you guys have a term to shoot to me. Send it to me on Twitter. I'll be happy to <laughs> incorporate it in my discourse from now on or my dialogue or whatever. Okay. So he was slightly more effeminate. And you can see the transformation just in how his breathing changes, yeah. just in how his body language shifts, the way he his his composure completely transforms 
And not only that, the timbre of his voice changed. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really, really cool. I, I, you know, to see that live, to give, for Shyamalan to trust McAvoy to that point without having to cut just goes to show that McAvoy is is someone I didn't think he was. (laughs) And and it was great to see it. I mean, I was sitting there, I remember turning to my girlfriend and going like, what the fuck? That was awesome. And she just slapped my leg. She was like, shut the fuck up. This is amazing. I don't want to hear from you. I want to see more of where this is going. That's a huge thing as well. Conceptually, this is Shyamalan having so much fun and with creativity and that's so, a huge factor why I love this film he wasn't content to have a straightforward like personality disorder monster guy goes to a psychologist and then he kidnaps these girls and they trick him you know there's right. seeing little things like how the characters try to get one up on over the certain personalities how the personalities fight amongst each other in this conceptualization of the the space that they're in how they try to communicate to one another, uh, how they have sides, how one can pretend to be another, that the psychologist who's trying to gain all this information to, to, I don't know, further her career, but also help them. It's... Yeah. Nobody's straightforward, and all the concepts, they're int- they're just fun inversions of... He gives you one thing, and then he tells you to reimagine it, you know? We're looking at the... There's a dot, then it's, you know, but that dot's a square. No, it's a triangle, you know? No, it's a rectangle, you know? The dot's always different, you know? And he's always playing with the same, like, the tools that he's laid out and adding more to the the mythos of it, even when you you just don't expect a mythos from it, you know? So Well, yeah. I mean, Shyamalan, in all of his films, and I'm going to put this out there, his main themes, he has he has a main two main themes that he has throughout his films, and Dr. Fletcher embodies those those, those themes. And the main themes that he has through, through the sixth sense all the way to split are trust and faith. Right. And so what you're talking about is Fletcher trying to establish trust because she knows that Dennis is the one that's in power right now, supposedly, but we know that it's Patricia, the other personality, yeah. who's actually in control yeah, of Yeah, pulling Dennis. the strings Dennis even if Dennis is on front. Yeah. Exactly. So she's trying to get Dennis's trust, but... By proxy, also trying to have Dennis convince Patricia to let Kevin go, which is the main personality. And so I thought that was interesting to have that embodied in one character. That's also going to manifest later in when we're going to be talking about Casey's uh, case, yeah. where we w- trust has been violated, right? And so yeah. this is you have these relationships between, we'll call them basically parent-child uh, with Dr. Fletcher and Kevin, and also Casey with her her, her deceased father, but then subsequently with her uncle. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that was I think great. That I, that's that pro- yeah, I, I guess we can launch into that then. Because that sets okay, up a lot, cool. of, a lot of the dominoes we're going to be playing with anyway, along with Split. Definitely, and yeah. It kind of it leads us into Village as well. Uh, so I, I'm just going to talk, because you might have got this already, listener. Uh, you might already know about it, or might have read it the same way. And I'll, I'll, I might just be explaining stuff you know, but I want to talk about it anyway. Uh, so we want to talk about the, the, the metaphor underneath the entire story, at least how I saw it. Because obviously in the story, it does touch upon Casey and the sexual abuse that was in her past. But how I read the film is that the this film is a longer metaphor, a bigger metaphor that really deals with how Casey attempts to deal with that sexual abuse. And it's really all about her. The story is really, despite the time we spend with others, this is a story that focuses on her and her attempts to come to terms with her own trauma in this sense. You know, and I mean, this is a this is a heavy thing to to, to talk about, to pretend to know about. I don't think Shyamalan's saying here. I have answers for people who have have been in similar scenarios or anything. This is still bordering on pulp entertainment, but it's still interesting to see that he wants to tell stories like this or try to explore characters like this. 
in maybe a kind of accessible way. So first we got to look at Casey and how she's set up. She, uh, Casey is an outcast. That's that's pretty obvious right from the, the bat. You know, the, the film opens with her essentially on her own while everybody else is gone and these two girls pity her. Almost at all times, visibly and mentally distinct from the two other girls. When we see her in the yeah. cell, she is on the other side of the room. And there is a separation more that she's separated by experience. She is mature, she has been forced to grow up too fast. And that colors her impression of the other girls. She sees they're, they're naive, they're feckless, they're privileged. You know, they're insensitive to her because they don't know anything about her. But, the, you know, they're taking pity on her. Or, yeah. And at times then pushing her aside and saying, why can't you just be normal? They don't get her. They don't understand her. They're not really even willing to give the time for it. So, but really, it's Casey who sees them as the problem, you know. And, and that clear distinction, it's not really talked about a lot in the narrative. But it's there. It's absolutely there. And she distances herself in the room to, to, to make that point, you know? So the first part of the story really deals with how she tries to meet people halfway with her trauma. Right. She's trying almost to an extent to fit in or at least cope by ignoring and trying to be what other people want her to be. And we see this more poignantly explored when she helps one of the girls escape the room. Yeah. This is her, essentially, she caves, she panics, she loses her calm that she's maintained the entire story up to that point and instead of assessing the scenario she gets involved with the two girls trying to escape and what that does that ultimately leads to a, a, an exploration where one of the girls leaves her behind you know takes advantage of her willingness to meet her halfway gets out and makes a like a slapdash run for it and that that attempt is a failure that girl then gets separated that's a failed attempt on Casey's part to try and, and meet society halfway it's explored through how she tries to help others by just putting a face on it and doing what they want to do nobody benefits and that's one option gone again we see it again with the other girl that the other girl hits Kevin over the head or Patricia at the time runs yeah. out the door leaving Casey behind in terror because she's learned from this she knows she can't meet them halfway anymore she can see that this has failed already and what happens the girl that represents society and and lack of experience just dashes off into a into a dead end and gets caught here we see she has attempted a, a way of dealing with her trauma you know and, and, and expectations of people that a, a lot of people in this position would probably feel on a, on a general basis like why can't you just be over this you know mm -hmm. there's that question this is her trying that approach and it fails it doesn't work because she's not it's nothing to do with her it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with what her decisions are it's all about somebody else so then at, 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 at this point we're already well introduced to the real threat the many personalities of kevin kevin here and his many personalities this is her traumatic abuse manifested she's caged by it literally and physically and in the same room of other fears of persecution and expectation she has to try and problem solve how to confront and escape this 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 past of hers you know how to try to to live her life you know and and, and really move on from the position that she's the the card she's been dealt essentially and uh, you know ultimately isn't that the goal i guess i'm sure mm -hmm. everybody wants to just live you know they don't want to be defined by this trauma and this is what this is casey's journey here uh so she i get what you mean they don't want to be defined by that trauma however yeah we have to keep in mind that it is a defining moment yeah casey the trauma that she experiences at the hands of her uncle and the trauma that she experiences at the hands of kevin or kevin's personalities i should say because kevin is not a threat to her 
Yeah. But the, the, those traumatic, they will come to define how she handles herself. Therefore, she is somewhat defined by that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where we'll get to. That's what I mean. This, that's a great thing to say because that's the that's what the film also says, I think. Right. But we'll explore it. We'll get that sort of payoff, I think. So the film compartmentalizes the other girls. They they are no longer a part of the, the, the equation anymore. This is now Casey going one-on-one with her trauma. And ultimately, she sees that trying to use a symptom as a cure, it doesn't work. Meanwhile, so she attempts to attack her trauma at its weakest point. She breaks it down to its easiest to understand form, and that materializes in Hedwig. And yeah. here she thinks she's assessed the trauma. She knows how to gain the upper hand. So she plays Hedwig. She feels that she's approaching this. She's made it as small as possible, and she being the bigger person, she knows how to uh, embrace this and, and and push it aside to get right. away from it. But that ult- ultimately doesn't work because she's not dealing with the whole picture. She's not realizing what the trauma is entirely. In fact, she's She's seeing it as only a, a, a monochrome of what it really is, what it really means to her. Yeah. Could she also be repeating what has been done to her? And taking that, advantage That's of? exactly it. And so she has to learn from that that that's not the way to go. This exactly. That's exactly why I am in that situation. It's a different level, obviously. It's it's more defined. Oh, yeah, but definitely. It is but very, it's, a, it's, it's a microcosm of It's what very emblematic of what can happen to people when they get in that mindset, you know. You, you hear a lot of it. The bullies, they bully, and the bullied become the bullies, you know. And they betray trust. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. you know. Hedwig, she... She earns his trust and she betrays him the same way as she had been betrayed, which is a very hard lesson for her to learn while she's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we're looking and I mean, obviously we're talking, that's, that's, Reiterate, this is metaphor. Yes. Uh, this is not the yeah, one-to-one. No, because Shyamalan isn't as heartless as most people. I mean, I'll flat out say it. Shyamalan is a smart man. No matter yeah. how dumbed down you guys think it is, no matter how much you guys think it's sexual abuse, he is using sexual abuse as abuse as a whole. And what better to use in a horror trope than the one that is sexual, the one that is most personal, the one that really affects at a deeper level. Yeah, I, I wasn't offended by this film. I was like, oh, this is a tricky subject, but at the same time, if you look at it as a whole, in general, what he's trying to say with this, this is abuse in all of its forms. And it's Absolutely. abuse of trust. So let's put that Definitely. out there. We're not trying to upset anybody who has been a victim or anything like that. We're not trying to be naive about it either. This is a very serious matter. We understand. However, we're trying to look at it from what M. Night Shyamalan is trying to do with the film, his message. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is obviously, this is general broad terms. So yes. you can only do so much, essentially. You know, it's not going to appease everybody, but... What he's trying to do is break it down to its most basic of elements mm-hmm. and explore what what elements could make possibly a solution, right. uh, at least for living with this kind of abuse. So here she here with Hedwig, she's attempted to to manipulate him to get away from from her trauma, and it leads to a dead end. It doesn't it doesn't add up to the real escape, you know. Literally, the window is painted. Yeah. It is a drawing. The there is there's not even real light at the end of this tunnel. It's it's a it's a child's image of what a window would look like. That's I and I think that's a great image and a metaphor. To, it's very compelling when it comes to that sort of breaking down of that. Anyway, so ultimately this leads to her escape and confrontation with the beast. 
Now this is her finally in the chaos and the tussle and the back and forth. She is one-to-one -one with the absolute monstrous personification of the full extent of her trauma. This is it all totaled up. She's looking at it dead in the eyes. Uh, and it's not, it's not a fragment. It's not a part, you know. It's not one of the personalities. It's the ultimate personality. It's, right. the, it's, it's the potential of trauma and abuse. And, you know, what better way to explore that, especially in Casey's case as as this animal male you know this sheer that even ties back into the actual image of her abuse where they they pretend to be animals that goes straight for the heart of what is the representation of of this to her mm -hmm. and so here we see a lot, a lot of trial and errors she gets an upper hand as such she knows a couple of weaknesses in the trauma from her own new experiences she learns that just saying kevin's name that weakens it it's like almost saying the abuse calling it out does make it weaker you know it does let you understand more what it is and how bad it is it's 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 one of those well-documented things people don't understand how horrible and how real their pain is until they say it and here it's explored really subtly i think by tying it into this horror film where this this weakness essentially she cripples the beast but it's it's not perfect. It doesn't stop him, but it does hinder him enough that she she is able to unleash a couple of shots at it. This definitely damages it, but it's not dead. And ultimately, when f the fight gets worse and she gets dragged back onto the ground, clinging to get away, she runs herself into a cage, doubling back, trying to in fear of what she might accomplish. Yeah, I like I like how you're reading that. So she, she gets to the she gets to the cage, and this is this is her now backed against the wall, literally. Cage is shut. This is her only solution. She can keep a barrier, but that barrier is still her perceiving herself as the victim here. She is beneath. The beast. Uh, she is absolutely at its whim and, and, and back in the cage under the trauma. But now she stares it dead in the eyes and she's exposed. She, she has, she's now proudly displaying her own battle scars. And as she comes face to face, dead eyed with the beast, she compares that. Essentially, she's looking at herself from the eyes of what she has become from what she's went through. Excellent. Keep going. She is is coming to terms with who she is as a product of someone who's went through this experience. Very good. And ultimately, there's almost a satisfaction in the fact that she, the beast lets her go. Admits that we are the stronger, you know, we are the experienced. Uh, and essentially, she has become triumphant against this because she has realized who she knows this is now a part of her personality. Right. These split personalities are her personality as well. Right. So not only has she got an understanding of who she is uh, and she's stronger for it, but she also along the path gained a vital bit of information. Right. Calling out the abuse weakens it. Right. And what's the what's the payoff? What's the catharsis here? Her, her, her arc here is we see the change, the difference. When she's in that police car, she's sat down and the, the policewoman leans over and says, your uncle's here. The, the person who's caused her all this abuse. You, you, you want to go talk to him, essentially, is what she says. You know, she's he, he's here for you. You ready? And she doesn't budge. She doesn't say a word, but she looks to her like indignant in the eyes, stares through her enough to draw the policewoman into the car further with a questioning expression on her face. As if here we are, she's finally going to admit it. She's going to speak out about what has happened to her. 
She's not going to let this guy torment her further. She is going to separate herself. She she knows what she's been through. She can face it. She can tell this person what the abuse is. And that weakens it. To the point where she's actively going to get away from him. And that is a huge arc for this character. And I think it's, it's too big to be perfect. But I think for what Shyamalan is trying to portray here. A lot of imagery into how to read abuse. And even introduce ourselves to abuse in a lot of ways. If you're a fan of horror cliches, never actually dealing with the trauma that these people actually go through. I think this is an incredible, fun-ish kind of way to, to explore this very, very dark and, and sad, cruel aspect of humanity. Yeah. I, I, that's that's what I got from the film. That was my that was my happiest take from the film, I think. I felt, for me, that, that justified more than just a horror film. I love the fact that you, you, had, you came to the same conclusion as me with regards to the cage that, yeah. that backing up into the cage is her finally accepting that this is who she is the cage separates her from the outside world right she's yeah. constantly been in a cage her entire life but she's resisted it. she's questioned why she was in this cage why she was this other in society yeah. right but by accepting it i think that Shyamalan is extraordinary at subverting cage imagery in this case yeah yeah the cage is supposed to be a prison I bring back civil war when we're like, oh my God, they're prisoners of these, these ideologies. But in this case, Shyamalan is actually going in the opposite direction and saying that sometimes the cage represents freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's half glass, half, a uh, half full perspective of the cage. There are two exactly. sides to a cage. Exactly. And I thought that that was brilliant when I was sitting there going like, oh my God, that cage isn't a prison. Yeah. That's yeah. a safe place. That's where she gets to be who she is. Exactly how you pointed it out. It's a signal of potential. Right. You can yeah. think about escape. And the story does push us that direction. Casey gets out. She gets right. out of the scenario, embracing who she is. She's the only person who does, aside from the beast, this monster who goes on to his own story. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they clearly are living in different stories. And I think that was wonderful because we have two very different narratives throughout yeah. this film. But they don't hinder each other. Yeah, exactly. They, they kind of intersect where you're like, whoa, is this reality? Is this fiction? Is this, you know, what's going on, you know? And I think Definitely. that this is what the strength of Split is. And it's in the fucking title of the film. It has nothing <laughs> to do with his personalities. There is a representation of it. But mm. we're talking about a split narrative in this case. And I Definitely. thought that was brilliant. Shyamalan's writing, maybe like some people say that the dialogue comes off as weird and hammy and cliched and cheesy. And, Not for me, and I don't man. really give a shit because I think that the dialogue is actually distracting from what the images are actually saying. Absolutely. I, th absolutely. I think that what you brought up in case of the, the, the voice, when she's in the car, when she doesn't speak, to me... Uh, if I'm looking at the more the, the broader sense of what this film represents, I think like we'll get into this a little bit when we're talking about the, the village. But I, I think that there's a prophetic quality to M. Night Shyamalan and where yeah. he is able to release films that speak directly to what's going on at that point in time and actually going to foreshadow a little bit of what's to come. And I think that with with Casey in this case not being wanting to speak but him not giving her the opportunity is also a little bit of what's going on in the United States right now where people have been given a voice to voice their opinions about what's going on the abuse of power the election that has just gone down and people mm. haven't chosen to voice their opinions a film like this speaks directly to people having to use their voice to stand up to abuse and it's fucking awesome yeah. that it comes out the same week that this guy takes office. 
It is a fucked up... Incredible. I mean, like, this, that foresight that, that Shyamalan it's has. It's weird, know? because The Village was exactly the same thing. I was in the movie theater, just kind of... I had chills. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe that this guy did it again. And it had nothing to do with the twist ending. I didn't give a shit about that. Yeah. I, I like it now, but I mean, at the same time, you know, when we're talking about, we'll call it the divided opinion when it came to U.S. polls, you know, I thought that, again, it was prophetic. I thought that it was weird that you have everyone, there's this, this really divisiveness coming out in the United States at this moment in time where people like Trump lost the popular vote. Uh, Hillary is also a devil in disguise. She has multiple personalities in a yeah. sense. Trump is this fucking weird ass tyrant, this abusive uncle in a sense that we Jeez, had. Yeah, but yeah, he nailed it. <laughs> and then you'll have, you'll have this, this Casey character who represents the population at large that are like, what the fuck do we do? We don't know who we're getting. We have no idea. Should I talk about my abusive uncle? Should I go with the multiple personality lady? It, it's a really interesting metaphor for where the people have their trust has been abused throughout the years, right? A lot of people say that Obama didn't necessarily live up to all the hype and stuff like that. And I mean, I have no opinion about that. But at the same time, there is a multiple personality that has been in the United States consciousness. It's a society that's constantly trying to redefine who they are. Yeah. But at the same time, they don't know, they don't have direction anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it has been shown now with the election of this abusive uncle <laughs> it's really weird how, how I'm, I'm like what the fuck how the hell did he do this yeah yeah it, it, it is it's it's simple enough to apply to so much and these films are specific about what they want to say but yeah. they're general enough to be applied to so many cases yeah. and it just so happens that they also they really do prophesize the case that's coming up on the on the horizon so yeah. it's incredible and at the same time i mean some people might be saying oh jason's reaching again this is another one of his crackpot <laughs> theories and i'm like listen all right fine if you guys want to go with that that's all right you guys can come at me it's not a problem but i feel like i mean i understand that maybe Shyamalan didn't think of any of this but don't forget that whenever you're writing something there is a consciousness a collective consciousness that everyone can reach into you are affected by your outside world mm -hmm. it does affect everything that you do the choices that you make the, 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 the things that you're going to write, even for a director, he's going to choose something that's going to be speaking at him at that moment in time. We are all living these things at the same time. They, the way that these directors decide to channel it is very different. So there has been an outside influence. And I think Shyamalan, like you said, he's a clear vessel for anything that's going on. He's very sensitive to these mm. things and he knows how to manipulate his stories enough to make them relevant for the point they come out in time. And it's interesting because we're at the height of superhero fever. And that twist at the end plays into that too. Yeah. It is fucking magnificent. I loved, uh, before I get to the superhero aspect, uh, I want to plug in one thing that my girlfriend told me that I, I'm going to put out there because no one's talked about it. And I, I like the fact that my girlfriend's a smart cookie. And, <laughs> and then I'll get into a little bit of what I thought because this is uh, Shyamalan's most Kubrick film to date. And I, I want to talk about the comparisons to The Shining. But right. what Leslie had to say, my girlfriend, she was like, isn't it interesting that there are 23 pairs of chromosomes inside the human body and 24 would consider it a genetic mutation. So Kevin's personalities are actually manifestations of genetics going to a super level. Yes. It's another level, which ties it a little bit to the X-Men. The thing that Professor X says at the beginning of the 2000 movie that came out, you know, every few millennia evolution leaps forward. 
And Kevin is the evolution of these chromosomes in a sense, right? Definitely. That 24th chromosome. I, I, it was really brilliant that he Perfect. would actually choose those 22 yeah, yeah, personalities. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a clear decision, definitely. Exactly. And that 24th is the beast. It's that one thing we have yeah. no idea that has supernatural abilities. Which brings me a little bit to what I want to talk about in terms of the comparison with the shiny. Because, right. let's face it, at the end, the beast is clearly demonic possession. If we look at the horror trope, which is exactly what Jack Torrance has at the Overlook Hotel. And underneath that zoo is where he has his the bowels of where his personalities live, right? Right. And I really think that in this case, Casey is a little bit symbolic of Danny, who also was abused by Jack Torrance. Mm-hmm. If you look at the director's cut of The Shining, it is highly suggested that Jack has a drinking problem and is abusive to Danny in a very violent way. But that, again, if you look at the child trust issues Danny does not trust Jack and his ability that that going in towards himself gives him the ability to shine right it's that that abuse has made him other and who is the other person that's in the film that has that is the black man which is very interesting to me because it's going to play into what I have to talk about with Sixth Sense and Unbreakable a little bit later yeah mm -hmm. Uh, I think that if you look at the hallways in Split okay that is very gothic as I was talking about just a little bit earlier and I think it plays also into what The Shining was trying to communicate uh, with Kubrick trying to use it as representations of US history and the atrocities that happened behind closed doors yeah. So mm-hmm. you'll have people that are going to ignore the Native uh, American genocide, people that are going to ignore that they didn't necessarily go into World War II un- until they could make a profit. Uh, you know, and, and all the, the, the history of violence that the United States has in mm-hmm. terms of uh, how, how they've avoided talking about specific things. You know, they don't talk about uh, slavery in the same way. If you talk to any white guy who's like, oh, it happened thousands of years ago. And it's like, yeah, no, yeah. it barely, barely stopped with what we saw with Ava DuVernay's 13th, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and these yeah. things are, are Even all... If you, if you, can look at, you can look at the Oscars, not the Oscar so white thing. If you look at um, when Driving Miss Daisy won the year that Do the Right Thing came out, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. That's it, just that, that willingness to, to move on without actually embracing the fact that things aren't fixed. Yeah, yeah. Always there. And that's it. I think that in this case, you know, Split really, really decides to channel a little bit of what Kubrick did with The Shining, where he's actually talking about, like, look at Jack. Jack has different types of personalities. Yeah acts differently with Wendy than he does with Danny. He acts differently with the people with his employers. You know, he has those personalities. He's a very vulnerable guy. The only thing is, is it's all channeled through the Overlook Hotel. That is this beacon that filters U.S. history into Jack. And what does he do? He goes out on a murder rampage the same way he unleashes the beast. <laughs> yeah, the same way as it's though. unleashed in Split. And so I really thought that that was interesting for Shyamalan to tap into something that Kubrick had done, but do it in his own way. The same way as The Village is a little bit of a... We could basically look at how certain narrative threads are like psycho. You know, he's really reusing specific uh, things that he holds dear. Yeah. I'll say, you know, the most likely directors that he respects and, and who wouldn't. I mean, Hitchcock and Kubrick. Yay. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's definitely... It's. I, I said it in my review of Split even that it's pure Hitchcockian fantasy, fever fantasy kind of stuff. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, It yeah. so I, is. I, I but you're right to bring Kubrick. That. I never thought... I, 
It, it wasn't there in my head at the time, but you're totally right. It's The Shining. It is yeah, absolutely it's incredible. I mean, and and even, but it's it's like we're spending time with a young Jack Torrance, you mm. know, navigating all his weird fears and all his uh, insecurities as a, a yeah. writer. And, you know, and even look at look at how uh, in the basement, the guy has video blog, video log, sorry. You know, it's essentially him writing a narrative. It's writing yeah, a book. Yeah. It's the same way. And no one's hearing him. This is all things he keeps that he shares between all of his personalities. In, in The Shining, no one reads Jack Torrance's books. No one gives a shit. He's supposed to go there all fun and and no play make Jack a dull boy. Jack is a very active boy. And it's all in his own mind, right? That's, that's and so, totally, yeah, you're totally right. I really thought that Split was was a, a modern interpretation of, of The Shining in, in a specific way. You know, and I think that Anya Taylor-Joy's character in Casey is able to shine. She sees past certain things. Which brings us a little bit towards where I want to head uh, in terms of otherness, in terms of the superhero genre. And if you look carefully, Casey, her name is Casey Cook. Right, yeah. We've got Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Bruce Banner. It's right there. The double consonants <laughs> and even David Dunn from Unbreakable. And yeah. If we're looking at it from an origin story in terms of a villain, okay, yes, but that's the one that was the most explicit. But we're also looking at Casey's origin story as a superhero. Yes. And she will probably be back because Casey helps others. That's what you said. She has a natural inclination to help. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Good point. <laughs> and so... She's learning how to deal with her powers, just mm -hmm. how much she can. If she helps this person escape, oh, well, I can't really do that. She's sacrificing herself the same way as a superhero would, in a sense, right? You say that she learns from that, but at the same time, she's like, oh, I shouldn't have. I, I've, I've pushed her towards her death without doing on purpose. The same way she pushes the other one to yeah, her yeah. death without doing on purpose. You know, the way that she tries to manipulate Hedwig. These are all tests. Of Absolutely. Her, basically testing her powers, our, uh, the, the, the hero she's going to become, right? These are all attempts at kind of figuring out who she is, what kind of power she has. And it only comes forth in the cage, right? But she has the ability to speak. And I don't know how that's going to manifest right. in, in, a, in, a, in a sequel, but her ability to to say something her the voice the voice is going to be something and we see a little bit of the manifestation of how she uses her voice when she slowly starts to talk to the girls when she slowly starts to talk to uh hedwig you know there's a something soothing that comes yeah. through her voice where she's able to constantly make people, people do a little bit of yeah. what she wants that's that's so, a great I, I really actually you know through all that i never picked up on that that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> but the, there's the one thing that we have to look at the, the superheroes are born of tragedy and Casey definitely has tragedy in her life the same way yeah. as Peter Parkle is somewhat responsible for the murder of his uncle Bruce Wayne if you look at Batman is Batman is born of tragedy it's from a yeah. point in time where he was powerless to help uh, powerless in helping his parents survive what had happened to them and so Casey with this melodramatic background that you were pointing out pinpoints superheroes as others they are something other than society they understand things that we don't understand as people that have probably been had a sheltered life in a way somewhat like the two girls that are in there who who act rashly they, they think they have the answers but they don't because they've never been in this situation where they've had to defend themselves yeah right and so i think that in this case again we have this i don't want to this is not pun we have these these split narratives where we have her dealing with the abuse, but also her being able to talk about it speaks directly to abuse in terms of what I pointed out in a, in a, in a sense of political allegory, if you will, or been a 
political parable, but you also have the origin story of a soon-to-be superhero, which is kind of fun because that does bring us back to Unbreakable. It was there just before our eyes the entire time, and Shyamalan, again, was able to play just under the surface, hiding in plain sight, if you will. Exactly. He's fooled us twice with the same film. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of interesting because now we... We, we also get that when we're watching Unbreakable, when we have David Dunn's uh, origin story. We also have Mr. Glass's origin story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Glass's origin story is somewhat similar to Casey's origin story. Absolutely. Sometimes you'll have the villain. Sometimes you'll have the hero. And it really depends on where what perspective is shaped. You know, mm-hmm. where perspective is shaped in this case. We thought that with Split, we were getting... a. Uh, just a, a weird guy, you know, with multiple personalities and stuff like that. And at the end, yeah, he does just turn into a supervillain. And but I do think that that was intentional on Shyamalan's part. He does delve into a few things that I've heard of offended people like DID. But at the same time, if we look at it from a superhero standpoint, a superhero's perspective, if you go back to 1960s, I mean. Jesus Christ. The origin story for Peter Parker is you get bit by a radioactive spider and you magically turn into a fucking Spider-Man. Yeah. Our just sheer lack of understanding of these bigger concepts at the date that we are telling these stories. Yeah, it does. Exactly. It absolutely shapes these things. And it's very, and so, I feel it's very intentional that we're doing that with DID. Absolutely. I mean, it's a theory that's been out there. It's very hypothetical. It's being studied as we go. What better thing to take? And I'm not trying to lesser this condition, but at the same time, if we're going to take something that is going to be ingrained in the reality that we have, somewhat like if you look at the 60s, just after the, what had happened with the, the communist scare and, and nuclear threats after World War II, <laughs> we're reincorporating something that we don't necessarily understand and we're looking at it from a very naive perspective. But we're also using it as the epitome of what something might happen. He's channeling all these voices into one individual because that's how reality works for us now. Look at how many times you guys are barraged throughout the day with marketing campaigns. Things are just screaming at you constantly. And you constantly have to be turning off specific voices in your head. When you go to work, you're going to be talking to specific people, not in the same way that you're going to be talking to your kids or talking to your wife or talking to your mother or father, you know, talking to your friends. We all have multiple personalities, but this one becomes a disorder. It's a condition. And what better way to use it as this giant metaphor for what (laughs) we live every day? We all have the beast in us and it really depends. Some people will take that that abuse and go nuts the same way Kevin does. But then you'll have other people like Casey that will be able to filter it because she's been through something traumatic and understand it in a way that Kevin couldn't. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely that case. Uh, Of course, I I totally understand where people are coming from when they see this as um, uh, something of an attack on on DID or at least an an abuse in itself of the condition uh, or what we know of it to date. I, I get it, and, I, and you're you're entirely right to feel that something's amiss here. But what what Shyamalan's really doing here? He's exploring not the condition DID and portraying it as a monster. You know, it's, it's our fear of DID. You know, the fear yeah. of what we consider what this is. That's what we we're, we're not trying. The, the the plan isn't kill it. You know, the plan is cure it. You know, yeah. fix it. It's it's something we have to stop. You know, and the people who have 
been there, who have been abused, who know, you know, the challenges that life present, they're the ones, like Casey, who are going to be hunting him down to try and get a way for this person to, to fit in this world. Well, I think you're onto something. I don't think it's an excuse. I'm thinking that if you're looking at the B-tropes of 50s movies, 60s movies, you know, the exploitation part of it where you approach a specific condition or a specific term or something like that, and you're going to have it manifest physically, okay? I think that he's doing something that we all know. I mean, look at Bruce Banner. If we break down the Hulk, who he is, he's a manifestation of the anger we all have in us. Yeah. Right? He is that beast. He is that monster. He just happened to be hit by gamma rays. So if we look at it from that perspective and using DID, this hypothetical condition, and I'm not lessering it, by the way, don't go crazy on me. Uh, this hypothetical condition that's still being studied. First of all, he's putting it into public consciousness, which I think is very brave. Yeah. And at the same time, he's also saying it's still borderline science fiction but somewhat drenched in reality yeah and i think that that's a very clever way of playing with the condition absolutely absolutely it's the same reason we enjoy science fiction you know we look at black holes and interstellar you know or ai and ex machina you know these things are all going to be understood in time but at the moment we're just we're putting them out there for people to digest how little we really understand them this is where they those things are in society and it's the same for did there's progress to be made but you can't make these stories after that point you know this is this is the only time so yes it, it makes sense I get, I get what people are upset about but there is a way to see this as positive nothing has to be black and white but yeah. it, it's also important people do get upset about this you know because that's what okay. will change it I, I think that's a part of the process nothing's going to change if people weren't shocked or upset right. if the people who know this is real want to push the fact that he's taking abuse of something that is real people are really suffering from in some form right. then it's important to say that and I don't think we should shy away from saying this clearly is an exaggeration of a real life problem that that we're clearly not giving the same treatment to abuse with, you know, because we understand yeah, okay, it firmly. I yeah, okay. So I feel it's important we do reach these topics and we say that these are wrong, you know. But I don't think we're wrong to uh, to to stumble into them or even use them to bring attention, no matter what way. If this is the public media, uh, this is this is how we ingest entertainment and that's the right. quickest way to disseminate information right. then this is this is a great conversation starter well that's the thing I, I think that that's exactly where I was hoping you were going to head it's a great conversation starter because like I said Shyamalan's a well-known director this is part of popular culture now mm. popular culture creates discussion look what happened in 2012 when Tarantino put out Django oh yeah absolutely that's, that's slavery a great came one back into popular discourse yeah and it's not something that's that's supposed to be laughed at or something like that but it's something that has to be talked about yeah. And I think that Shyamalan is somewhat doing the same thing with bringing DID to popular culture. It's not even something that I knew before the film. But, you know, I think that with Split being what it is, I mean, to me, this is uh is it a return to form for Shyamalan? I don't think Shyamalan actually lost touch. I think that he was given a bigger budget. And I'm going to quote Vince Leo. Uh, he was on Extra Film on In Session and he said something absolutely brilliant. A lot of people had touted uh, Shyamalan as being the next Spielberg, right? Yeah. You know, but Vince Leo said, I've never seen him like that. I've seen him more of like a Brian De Palma, you know, a guy who makes trashy films with high concept. Yeah. And I was like, wow, Jesus. It's a perfect quote. That he makes perfect it. sense. And Absolutely. it pisses me off that I was going to say that on today's show. <laughs> and he said it before me last week. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he got the quote. <laughs> and so I want to just give him a big shout out. Thanks, Vince, because yes, you're absolutely right. Absolutely I see right. Wars at De Palma as well. Because all of his pictures are genre pictures. They all treat somewhat the same themes, in my opinion. And I, I think that with Split, this isn't a return to form. I think that he functions better on a lower budget. Yeah, he can, right? he's continuing his past form. Yes. It, the break, it wasn't so much... It wasn't. He was still experimenting. All those... Even the big budget films are M. Night Shyamalan experiments. Yeah. They are absolutely... They've got his, his mark of you don't know what to expect. And right. that doesn't end up favorably in those experiences because... There's there's too much to do. There's right. too much going on, and it's not his strength to tell stories in that format. But there's a middle ground between super low budget and moderately low budget that he just thrives in, you know. And he, right. he's he's proven it time and time again. And now he's on like ultra low budget with Split and The Visit and, and well received films, you know. Relatively, I mean, The Visit wasn't super received well, but Split is pretty much as, as much critical acclaim as a horror film realistically ever gets. So I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah, pretty interesting. And that's it. I mean, I'll, I'm going to recommend this film. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I actually wanted to watch it a second time before yeah. this so that I could actually really look deeper. But this is what I got on my first viewing. Uh, you, final thoughts on, on Split. But we'll, we'll probably go back to it as we're speaking of the village. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, if we want to just wrap up Split. Again, like, as you can see, this is just, look at the, look at the tangent. We, we, when we went into this episode, we didn't know if we were going to be talking about Split for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but it certainly wasn't going on wherever this, this time mark is landing with the theories and the discussion right. that's the sign of a good film you know that's the sign of something yeah. look at how that writing encourages exploration in, in, in the craft you know and, and how the medium's being played with here you just know that this split is just the work of someone who knows what they're doing and it's yeah. that comforting feel that I get where people like that feeling with Spielberg and Shyamalan because Spielberg is very much a comfortable set of hands you know he's always been a, a director you can expect quality from <laughs> Shyamalan you get that from Shyamalan you, you don't you know he'll mess around but you can expect something and that's and he absolutely here delivers and uh, I will always prefer Unbreakable I, I just you can't even lean on Unbreakable and pretend to be better than it <laughs> but, right, yeah. uh, but at the same time this is a whole film to itself it does a lot of great things I can absolutely see it sticking to the end of the year in my mind and for years to come uh, and I, I'm not really I'm not going to be done telling people how good it is for a long while you know? uh, yeah. so that's generally that's to me that's all I need from a film is to know that I feel confident in saying people should watch it yeah and I mean he, he's continuing on a long line of, of like we talked about you know a lot of people have said that he, he, he deals in allegories mm. and I, I don't disagree with that you know I, I like thinking of more of a, parables but I think that the reason why I wouldn't say that they're, they're allegories is that not all of his films are political yeah you know I think that contextually that's why... so yes but generally they, they mean more than just one more moment in time you know to me they're all cautionary tales right yeah. depending on what you're looking for in the film and i think that the morality tales or the cautionary tales have a little bit more nuance than most people like to give him and i think that his films uh, will continuously be analyzed as a result. Yeah. And I mean, The Village itself, in my opinion, can definitely be read as a commentary on a world post 9-11. Yeah. Right. You know, the loss of innocence, what happens when you're attacked on your own soil, but also how a specific set of individuals keep a community hidden from outside realities. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but to me, the film is about the fear of the other and how storytelling, or we'll, we'll say the media in this case, shapes collective consciousness, which was something we talked about in Split. And I think that The Village is a ghost story about a select few that governed based on fear, terror, uh, by manufacturing misinformation about foreignness and how that builds obedient communities. Right. And I thought that was a, a fun way to take the conversation because The Village to me is one of those it's a continuation of what he had done in the sense. sure and i want to build on what i have to say right here so i'm going to talk about the village but by talking about the sixth sense first all things have a beginning <laughs> yeah exactly i think that you know Shyamalan has most of his films have been focused on on the other on otherness and yeah. we talked about a little bit with with casey and split and to me when i'm looking at the sixth sense the film itself focuses on one simple sentence and it was the sentence that was throughout the marketing campaign which is i see dead people mm -hmm. which really encapsulates a concern that well believe it or not it was recuperated by Shaun of the dead yeah. that the uh, uh, the notion that capitalist society has become a zombie nation right and if we look at it i mean you and i or even the people that we're, we talk to on a daily basis you know we think we have purpose or we try to tell ourselves to convince that ourselves purpose. that exactly. yeah <laughs> but if you look at humanity as a whole our daily lives have us in constant existential crisis hmm. you know with questions like what's the meaning of life or why am i constantly unhappy we're constantly asking ourselves these questions and our children see this okay they see us as ghosts of our former selves we're trying to constantly play to what we want to be or what we aspire to be but at the same time we have to let that go because we have to kick into reality mm -hmm. so we talk about our past our nostalgia which encapsulates a lot of what's going on right now but our children never see that they see the opposite they see our doppelganger they see us yeah. the other of our own selves and i think that in this case that also goes to what we're going to be talking about in the village these people are pretending to be something they're not we look at bruce willis in the sixth sense he doesn't know he's dead but the kid sees that he sees who this person wants to be he wants to be alive he wants to be someone who has purpose yeah. but he's not he's no longer there he's no longer a person he's been sucked into the system into capitalist society what is he doing he is defined by what he does and what he does is he's a psychologist he helps children and that's it he's no longer a human being and uh, there he is and he's, he's surrounded with others others who are like i'm a jogger i'm a teacher all these other ghosts all have purpose you know, this this one defining characteristic i'm a griever i i am a i'm a, a, a disobedient child everybody is a defined personality Right. Which isn't how people are, but that's that's what that that mindset leads you to become. You know, exactly. you become a one, a singular when you are a many. Yeah, and that's it. Exactly, you're supposed to be many things, and this is why the child. I mean, he's obviously terrified of, of all these these things that he sees. Obviously, we can break it down. I mean, he does see dead children, you know, and he does see people hanging from rafters and things like that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, these are ghosts of our past. These are things that we don't want to happen. These are things that we are afraid of on a daily basis, anyway. The kid just decides, just sees those things, but he does speak to live people all the time. They're they're more grotesque looking because it's supposed to be a horror film. But at the same time, yeah. if you look at Bruce Willis's character, you're like, you could call out Shyamalan and say, why doesn't he have fucking thing all over his? Why yeah, is he course, look yeah. decrepit or something like that? But that's just not what the movie's trying to communicate. And I mean, it's the same with Unbreakable. If we look at it, I mean, it's a superhero story in disguise. Yes, but how ironic is it that the family inside the film is broken, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the question is still there. Do we have to define ourselves by our opposite? 
by the other. And the last line of the film almost is that, you know, I know who you are, then I'll know who I am. If I know who you are, yeah. I'll know who I am. This is what I mean, Sam Jackson's character says, Mr. Glass. And Dunn himself, David Dunn, is a ghost of his former self. He's a football legend. He's a guy yeah, that, yeah. you know, he was excellent. But at the same time, he quit that because his wife wanted him to stop because she was afraid he would get injured. However, mm. she kind of misses that. She misses the outgoing guy. She misses the legend he was. She robbed that from him, right? So she misses kind of that ghost. She's going for something that he no longer is. And again, the kid is at the center of that and he sees that. Yeah. He sees mm -hmm. the nostalgia in that relationship. But the one that really defines the film for me in the movie is Mr. Glass because he is othered constantly. He's a black man growing up in a very poor neighborhood. He gets superhero comic books. This is his escapism, right? But he's black, but his brittle bone structure represents the constant struggle the black community has had to find strength in their own culture because of how terribly they've been treated over the course of history yeah definitely the, the process of dehumanization okay makes them ghosts in a society that for hundreds of years have robbed them of ever acquiring an individual identity hmm. and i think when dunn acquires his identity it's something that we take for granted but only then can mr glass find his notice notice that that mr glass was the name that his tormentors gave him yeah mm -hmm. if we go back to how the black community has reappropriated certain terms Absolutely. in order to find strength in them i mean jesus christ there's a beautiful metaphor in there you know and yeah. so i think that that i mean you could even that's uh, that's exactly where it ties where you can see the thread from unbreakable going into split as well i mean that's abuse that's the abuse and learning to adapt to that you know embracing what you've what has made you other and therefore going out and discovering your own identity past that point that's essentially what the, the, it is it's the same narrative arc yes. for casey as it is for mr, mr. Glass. glass right yeah. and so i thought that was beautiful right but i mean if we look at the village now okay if we look at the idea of otherness we talked about anderson's the master recently and we talked about ptsd post-world war ii and i also mentioned that i had written an article about kurt vonnegut's slaughterhouse five and how the character Billy Kilgrim was so Pilgrim, sorry, was suffering from PTSD as a result of witnessing the firebombing of Dresden. I'm going to bring it up again for the village because sure. many people said that as an allegory, it was too on the nose. And again, I disagree. It's actually somewhat prophetic of Shyamalan. There is a political commentary in the film. However, I think Shyamalan somewhat predicted the psychological state the U.S. would be in for about, I'd say, the next 15 years, mm -hmm. forced back in time to recover their innocence. Okay, if we look at the village, we're talking about a group of people that have exiled themselves that create false stories about otherness. Yeah. They want everything outside in the forest, these creatures, those we don't speak of. Yeah. This is foreignness. This is going back to a time where everything outside our walls is supposedly scary. And this is very hypocritical of that society that they've created. Notice that there's no one's black. Yeah. Everyone's white. Except it's... one character outside the village. There you go. Shyamalan himself. Shyamalan himself. And so I think that it's really interesting that if you look at the elders, that they were so shocked by the state of what society had become, their respective tragedies, so to speak, that mm -hmm. it set them back to a time where innocence prevailed, supposedly, but it's all a fiction. Yeah. If I look at what Shyamalan did in this case, 
you know, the, the fiction that people have created around what's going on. He, again, was ahead of his time with regards to what, with, with the subject matter. In a way, he predicted what was going to happen to the U.S. after the terrorist attack on New York. Okay, look at what happened to the U.S. post 9-11. Okay, we're talking about entertainment only. I'm not talking about, I'm not, I don't want to belittle any of what the trauma is going. Of course, But of course. the trauma has made itself into popular culture and at, has turned a profit. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. No, look at all the look at all the remakes, the reimaginings, the reboots, the retellings, the reinterpretations, or the reinventions. As we saw in Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, you know, Billy Pilgrim goes back to a time where fairy tales, fairy tales, were supposed to be this innocent form of literature where we could gain some sort of morality through it, you know, a moral lesson. And I think that in this case, you know, when we look at at, at entertainment. And what's been coming out post 9-11, we have the superhero genre and we also have a hearkening back to fairy tales, going back to oral tradition. Because if we go back to fairy tales, that's where our history is. That's where mm. our morals are. That's where our values came from. That's where we used to get answers for <laughs> yeah, the right. tragedies that happened in our lives. And like I said, the stories were innocent. They also preserve an innocence from our past. Why do you think we read these to our kids, right? They were like, this is the thing that, you know, if you're reading Cinderella, if you're reading uh, Peter Pan, if you're reading, these are all things that were like, oh, or Beauty and the Beast. That's another mm. one. If we look at it, if we split, <laughs> you know, this is to preserve our innocence. This is something we read to our kids. But the elders in the village have been hit so hard by what they've lived through that they're all suffering from PTSD. But now their actions have consequences on other people that are in mm -hmm. that village. Their stories, they're passed down through the oral tradition. This is how they warn the people inside the village that there are others. They are changing everyone's lives in the village in this case. But it's another ghost story, the same way as it was in The Sixth Sense, okay? None of it is real. The boy that dies at the beginning of the film is a tragedy in and of itself, and I'm talking about the village now. Lucius is stabbed. We only can assume that he survives. We never see the recovery. Yeah. They see dead people now, too. Not just dogs that are just lying around the grounds or anything like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. They have been faced with death and the only wa way walker is able to keep his ghost story alive is through capitalism walker pays for the illusion to stay alive that's great <laughs> and look at look at what we're doing now literally now yeah what we're doing with our retelling of fairy tales adapting superheroes things like that this is what yeah. we're paying for cinema we're even we're literally remaking unbreakable <laughs> You know, and I think that that's amazing that 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 that's where we are. But he did this in 2004. Shyamalan Four. did this in 2004. Incredible. We're literally 12 years down the road. And he he talked about this. He talked about where we would be. That is fucked. That is fucked <laughs> up for me. It's really bad, man. I mean, he's brilliant. But Jesus Christ, are we this predictable? <laughs> but that's the thing. That's all. That's really, really weird. And so to me, like I said, The Village is an underappreciated gem of a film because yeah. it does talk about trust it does talk about faith and how in this case the elders are abusing the trust of the people that are there you know by creating these ghost stories by creating fear and terror this is exactly how fox news works yeah they're yeah, saying exactly. fear the other fear the other and yeah. at the same time here's Shyamalan saying don't do that it's all fiction when bryce dallas howard's character Ivy goes walking through that forest. We've been told at this point, and he, oral tradition, again, he mentions to her, there's a lot of exposition in the film, I know, but it's something I enjoyed because there is world building necessary oh, yeah, for the definitely. world that he creates. 
Mm-hmm. But we're we have to be in that world with them. Well, that's how fairy tales work, isn't it? There you, you know, go. There's a prince. He lives in the castle. It rules a land. There's a princess. She's on a hill. Right. And she has a mother. The mother knows. You know, it's it's world building at all times. There you go. <laughs> and Ivy's character goes through the stages of growing up very very fast. She mm. was innocent, right? But she sees colors, right? The way the kids will see different auras, if we will. Apparently, that's what they do. Babies can see auras. Not making this up. It's something I read. There I don't believe go. it, but anyway, I'm using it in in the context of what Ivy sees. You know, when she goes yeah. to see Lucius, who's been stabbed, she says, "I can't see his color." But then, when her father tells her, it's somewhat like when you tell your kid that Santa's not real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Where you're like, oh my god, everything I've always believed. You know. And then the magic rocks. When when he says, "Why have we've been told about the magic rocks before it's like ah shut up just believe what we're feeding you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. right and when that 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 when adrian brody's character comes you know and he's dressed up as that that villain we're supposed to be surprised and at the same time we're like well is it real or is it not real she's blind she has an affliction but she sees things more than we do she understands mm-hmm. specific things because there have been reveals at that point and at the same time it's also a commentary on what we do to our disabled people when they're bad we lock them up so no one can see them this is a terrible fucking thing to do yeah, and at the same absolutely. time this village is supposed to go back to a time of innocence and what do they do they go all the way back they're ashamed they're ashamed of their disabled guy the guy that has a psychological disability you know and so i thought it was strange they're not trying to teach him to do things they're punishing him because if they're doing things they're yeah, really going yeah. back to lock him away exactly but these are the things we don't speak of he is other and then he literally embodies the other at the end of the film. Yeah. Perfect. He becomes the thing we don't speak of. Mm-hmm. The, the mental disability or the psychological disabilities we don't speak of. And that brings us again to Split. A point in time where we're talking about this. It's not part of popular discourse. But Shyamalan's saying, God damn it, talk about this. This yeah. needs to be handled. Absolutely. I, literally, that that came around at a really good full circle to sort of <laughs> right back so to what we were a, talking about. That's but. exactly what I had to say about this stuff. I've been talking for a while. I'm very sorry. Like I said, there are allusions to, to Psycho in, in, in the village to me. Like when Lucius, Lucius was supposed to be our main character, if you will. And when he gets stabbed, it's like Marion Crane. We have to start following someone else, right? But we're following yeah. our heroine now. Jesus, I want to apologize because I just realized that I was saying disability. I don't mean disability as a negative. I know that dis has that negative connotation. I mean condition, Literally. psychological condition. <laughs> the psychological condition that we're talking about in terms of in the village uh, with Adrian Brody's character. Um, and we also have uh, the psychological condition and split with DID. So I apologize. I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm, I'm making it. I'm apologizing right now. So that's it. So that that's essentially what I had to say about about uh, the village. Uh, I do have a lot more I could say, but I've been talking for a while now, so it's yeah. Lee's turn. Sorry. Oh, we again. These these films are so well written and so interesting in what they offer cinema and our own taking uh, as as people and as you say as as allegories and parables in, in a sense that we can we can reuse them to learn over and over again new stories and new messages from them just given where we are in time and that means we've got a lot to talk about because there's a lot to apply to this you could you could throw this at anything you can throw this at the boar war and it'll probably stick <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't feel like I can get anything from harping the the same core. You have nailed it. Uh, I I don't think we I, I can go with a trust angle. So I'm gonna go somewhere totally different. Awesome. Uh, uh, and so Jason didn't do crackpot theory this week, so I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I don't I don't think what you're saying is is crackpot at all. I think those that's this is the perfect reading to me. So I'll go somewhere where it, it, no consequences. Everybody could just have fun. <laughs> all right. And bear with me because. 
It's stupid. <laughs> My crackpot theory is Split and the village use memory and cell biology to remind us of how to be open to new experiences. And that's I all. Like that's, that's a good a, thesis. I, that's my title. This is my essay. So, while I was watching The Village, an image that stuck out to me was the woods, obviously. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's right in the opening shot and it's everywhere. But yes, in the opening, we have the branches. We see creeping roots in the forest scenes. We have the ivy that creeps over even the village itself. We have the main character called Ivy. And yeah. when attempting to escape the village, Ivy has to literally climb, climb a, a wall, wall of the forest. You know, like, yeah, it's a hedge. You literally can't escape watching the village without, you know, assailing the <laughs> metaphor of the woods, okay? <laughs> Uh, and I'll come back to that a little uh, when we get into the biological side of this. <laughs> so when I was thinking about how the, this could relate to Split, I, I thought about the mind, uh, and, and not in the way that we have branching personalities. I didn't want to go that right. route as such. I wanted to focus on what actually we know makes up the brain itself. And so there, I'm thinking specifically synapses, okay? Very branch-like in structure, okay? Right. They're neurotransmitters in your brain, essentially, that allow your brain to communicate with every other part of you, like the branches in nature, and, and, and they form a comparative link with roots and branches you know they serve a similar purpose the branches they they deliver vital information and you know nourishment to the other parts of the tree if you look at the roots and and what makes up the inside of the tree yeah uh so yeah it's a very you know it's a simple enough image uh and in my stumbling i found a prominent theory about synapses and and the role in the longevity and development of memories wow okay so i, I thought that was uh, kind of relevant because in Split we have one brain but it can't communicate its memories to the other sides of its own personality at all. Huh. Each yeah. identity has its own set of memories, but the conjunctive whole doesn't communicate properly as it's intended to. So, the theory is called Hebbian Theory, or Hebb's Rule. And I've got a quote. Awesome. This is my second quote in 21 episodes. <laughs> uh, so the quote is, and this is from Donald Hebb, the, the, the founder of the theory. And this is from, in 1949 from his book, The Organization of Behavior. Right. Let us assume that the persistence or repetition of a reverberatory activity, or trace, tends to induce lasting cellular changes that adds to its stability. Mm -hmm. When an axon of cell A is near enough to excite cell B and repeatedly or persistently takes part in firing it, some growth process or metabolic change takes place in one or both cells that, such that A's efficiency as one of the cells firing B is increased. Okay, so... I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's science. So, um, so look, I'm not a scientist. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to, to get my quotes from Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> but what I can gather from that in very broad general terms, which are the kind that I like, is that the more synapses communicate with each other, the more regularly the same synapses are used to convey same or similar signals. And it's easier for them to do so again. And essentially, that's our, our core basis in understanding learning. Right. Where we can retain knowledge is because the actual synapses adapt to the similar signals that they're receiving. So you, your brain gets into a sort of function that way. Uh, so we have an understanding of memory, and we know we're supposed to be learning something here, but what? <laughs> uh, well, let's think about where these synapses are firing from. And for that, we return to the woods. So what is Ivy's journey through the woods all about? Well, if the trees are synapses, and she's moving through the woods back and forth for medicine, then the village is essentially sending out signals of pain, and Ivy, traveling through the synapses, 
is attempting to find remedy elsewhere in the body. So this kind of paints a little picture. The village here must be a neuron, i.e. a nerve cell, specifically a sensory neuron, because it's the one that communicates through its its pain to seek relief. Nice. And if we look at the at the cell structure, we kind of get that reinforced in the village. It has a cell wall, and that's the hedge from earlier. Right. You know, that's literally the, the, the barrier of the cell itself. And the various neurite, which are the sort of informative parts within the cell, you know, the information that the cell contains, that is, uh, that's the people, the genetic people, you know, the, that's the, the individuals that make up this, this living organism, mm-hmm. essentially define what that cell is. So it's a cell, all of which exists in the brain, by the way. So there's your, there's your split. That, we're keeping that in the, in the four a little. What is that Night Shyamalan trying to say here? What could he gain from connecting his latest movie split with his previous film, The Village? We could take it in just as generic, uh, life-affirming as we can. We have to remember to feel. So here Shyamalan is reminding us that cinema is meant to be a series of unique experiences. Right. By relating memory to sensation, he wants us to remember a time before we knew M. Night Shyamalan, a time where each film was an experience, and it's important that he relates this to The Village, because it's very much the turning point critically where people started to grow more weary of his patented twist tropes and subversion tactics. Right. You know? So while the synapses get better at connecting, at communicating and forming memories, we must remember that these are connecting to a feeling part of the brain, and that needs to feel new experiences or stagnate. And I mean, that's that's just what, I mean, easily you could apply that to abuse. Absolutely. By embracing your memory and adapting with it, you know? pushing forward using sensation to guide where you where you take that memory is trauma the sensation is the experience of living you have to connect the two and you have to get closer to connecting the two to essentially progress so the cell on its own the neuron can't do anything on its own it's just information it's just there Right. It feels, but it's not connected. Ivy branching off into the real world. That's the synapse. That's it communicating with another section. And this collected sensation is is our experience. Wow. And so th- th- literally, you can break it. You can break Shyamalan films down to a cellular, microbiological level. And they can hold up to some degree. <laughs> that's writing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. Because it also, if you were going to tie it into Split, I mean, the hallways, the lockers... This is where yeah. we store information, right? But this is yeah, this is where we're moving through the film. This is where Kevin goes. This is where the personalities live. Mm-hmm. It's constantly an in and out. But that door at the end is the real world. The hallway is the synapse. The neuron is the cell that he lives, that he bundles himself up with, with his own mind, his own sensations that don't mean anything. They're screaming into a void mm-hmm. through video logs on his computer. Nobody yeah. is listening. Exactly. So the two films, they, they, they are almost like a sister uh, stories in that sense. Yeah. Because we have a connection with trying to approach the outer wall, you know, trying to connect with everything. And we see that same process of pushing through that and constantly adapting what we know in the process. Right, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. It's a good way to compare. I think that it was kind of cool as well that if you were taking that cell and if we look at the way that you can interpret cell in two different ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's literally <laughs> where the word cell comes from. There you go. The, the, the jail cell came first, you know? So, I mean, we, we absolutely have that comparison to make. It's literally written into the definition of the word. <laughs> there you go. I think it's fun because at the same time, that cell, if we look at the village as the cell, the pain is there. There is yeah. death. There is trauma in the form of Lucius, who is a, is a physical manifestation of that pain. Definitely. And at the same time, we'll have uh, Casey in, in the cell who has 
had pain inflicted upon yeah. them. And so, yeah, I think that's brilliant. It's a beautiful comparison of those two those two ideas. Uh, and yeah, I mean, did Shalalan think of this? Nope. However, no way. What, what I think <laughs> is cool is that this is exactly what we'll talk about in terms of allegories and parables and exactly, fairy tales right? or morality tales. These films are going to last. They're going to last because as what the French New Wave did with Hitchcock films, some people down the line are going to reinterpret these films. And yeah. they're going to say, holy shit, no, no, this guy is not nuts. This guy knew what he was doing, and they're going to reappropriate that, and they're going to launch into so many different things. And that's it. So I've never, uh, I mean, I was talking to Uche the other day, and I mean, I said that I liked the village, and he was like, really? He says, you? And then he tells me, oh, Shyamalan is, is kind of like what Mike, uh, Jeff Nichols is right now you know he, right. he lives in that level and I was like well I think Shyamalan deals more in fantasy than than Nichols does Nichols deals in, in uh, something that's that's different he's very met- metaphorical in what he tries to do but I wouldn't compare them necessarily I, I think sure. that they, they're to be taken in a different way but yeah and I, I think like even Ebert oh he hated it he hated the fucking movie one of his that. worst like on his worst list as well yeah. I yeah I found that out and I, I you know I, I I just I couldn't help but think how short-sighted that was I, I mean yeah I, yeah, under, yeah. I understand where he comes from. The the twist doesn't work. On a first viewing, it doesn't back itself up. Yeah. I, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, there's so I mean, there's so much more underlying in the, in the, what the story is trying to do that to write it off for a, a sort of give or take uninteresting experiment with, exactly. with twists is is to be a little unforgiving to the fact that the film accomplishes way more than it does in playing conventions with M. Night Shyamalan's typical form. Oh, exactly. And I think that's kind of fun because it's a testament to how his films will endure is that uh, I, I showed my girlfriend Leslie the village and she had never seen it yeah. and she, she sat on the edge of her seat and she was like I really like this this is a really good picture she said I've never seen anything like it which is also yeah. really cool it because is, he does it is create, very true yeah there's nothing like it you know, yeah, people no, were absolutely. like oh I thought it was a period piece it's a love story it's like nah man so it's such a quiet film but it's got like creeping terror and lies behind exactly. it all it's, it's it's wonderful and I mean we already broke all of that down so I mean yeah I mean we didn't, even, we didn't talk about the science, but I mean, science is, again, fear of the other. I, science is not a film that I enjoyed. I thought it was, uh, if there was one film that was really heavy-handed, I, I thought science was. And sure. I thought it was dumb to, to have these believers for lack of a better word, these people that had faith. And then again, it's about a film about trust and faith, if you want to look at it yeah, that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I've, I'm going to catch myself trying to rewatch that film for the ironic ending. Where yeah. Shyamalan's like, he's just holding up a mirror and is like, yeah, this is what you guys want to believe in? Fuck you. Yeah, I, I have a <laughs> feeling that he's kind of just playing tricks on us. Like, oh, this is the ending what it's supposed to be. And so the twist ending is that they go back to believing that? It's what? great. I they mean, have, in that sense, you know, like, it's smart for what it is writing-wise. Maybe the film doesn't back it up enough to be interesting. But I mean, yeah. I think The Village does, for example. I think oh, it, yeah. it justifies its twist. I, it's, it's hard to even see it as a twist. It's so... I'd seen it and I knew what was coming when I seen it a second time I seen it a long time ago like I was a right. kid uh, so I knew what the twist was right. but I forgot the entire film okay so I was essentially watching it with fresh eyes and it, I, and it really is incredibly enjoyable but like even if you half know the twist mm-hmm. even even if you just see it, it it's easy to call I think a lot of people probably felt disillusioned with it because it was probably the least surprising of his twists oh uh, well it's because uh, it was marketed as a horror film and then people were like this isn't horror and that's when the yeah, backlash started of course you know, and then after <laughs> that like people were talking talking about it as like a shameless allegory 
about uh, state power and stuff like that. And I was like, it, when, I, when I was watching it at the time, I mean, I wasn't necessarily into criticism at all. I wasn't into yeah. trying to figure out what people are trying to say with their movies. I'm a little bit more now, in case you were wondering. And, <laughs> uh, I thought that the village, uh, you know, was, was um, it was a representation of the, the, the G8 summit. You know, I was like, oh, there is a political thing there where you have right. these, this, these precious eight guys, which they're, they're eight elders, they're eight, uh, that are controlling all the information, all the goods, everything. And this is what they want to give. And this is how they keep the rest of the population or the rest of the masses poor in terms of information, in terms of riches and whatnot. And so, yeah. I mean, that you can definitely read that. But it, I feel that's naive of me now to have thought that. But that's what I had when I saw but it. But that's the point, isn't it? That you can and then you can reapply it again and again. Yeah, exactly. That's what you mean. It's just, that's how open and, and flexible the narrative is. Yeah. So that makes sense. That, that ties in exactly to what we were saying of how we can read these films. But okay, we have to... We have, I mean, like, we've essentially... We've ruled out the possibility of an M. Night Shyamalan retrospective right here and now. Because... I really mean, right eh? yeah yeah like what's i mean we could go into more depth in each individual film but we're really going to be treading old ground essentially for yeah i ours. think you're right i accidentally made a shaman retrospective but that's <laughs> but I'm, I'm super happy about that because as we were talking before we uh started uh, the episode and uh as as probably a lot of people have ascertained from the fact that we keep tying these threads between every single one of these films so shaman kind of makes the same film over and over again so, yeah there we go. The fact that we could tie it all together into one episode and just call it the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> retrospective works for me, man. Works for me, too. So that's the main themes. Trust and faith. Go dig. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm pleased. So uh, we really haven't talked about twist ending of Split. Do you want to spend any time doing that? I think people have done it at nauseam. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, again, I was I was super thrilled just for anything to, to call back to Unbreakable, one of my favorite films that I would have accepted. It could have happened in Signs. And I, I, David Dunn shows up, shows up in Signs, and then they say, this is a part of the Unbreakable universe. And I'd be like, holy shit, this is great. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> uh, but um, I like that exclusionary nature in M. Night Shyamalan, that sense that these films reward M. Night Shyamalan watchers. Yeah. I feel that, yes, I, I feel that it's it's a great commentary on the superhero films we watch today, like the, the twist endings, the universals, tie-ins, that right. if you don't watch them all, you don't know where you are. You know, you can't follow for a lot. And then they, they tease all this shit that you have to read on Wikipedia and at the end of the film, you yeah. know, because you don't you don't read comics, man. It's very exclusionary practice. Right. I think it, very, it skewers it almost because right. uh, it, 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 it's the same thing, but in a film that literally feels un- untied to anything. It's almost like a joke. You know, it's it's like a parody of, of that very similar that very prevalent trend that is in cinema right now just go by the way there's a superhero that's why i like i'm not super excited for unbreakable 3 i'll definitely watch it but i'm not super excited for it because it feels like the joke's been made it it play it tugs at my my sheer nostalgic ambition that i just want to see these characters keep going and going and going but at the same time it kind of feels like the joke is funnier when it stops okay yeah yeah Uh, you gotta gotta know your punchline yeah exactly and he nailed it for me. Uh, but again, it's it's that kind of joke. It's so good at being what that joke is that it's totally lost on people who don't know or get it. And that's kind of the irony of it, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I love it. I love how he toys with form like that. I think so. I think you're right. I think the twist in and of itself, for me personally, it was funny because initially, as I said, I was, I was unresponsive to it. I was like, really? Why? But I also think that this is him kind of being like the elders in the village. When yeah. he's... Right. Right. hearkening back to 
a time of innocence, to a time when he was able to do everything. We're seeing two different sides of his personality. Split is a manifestation of M. Night Shyamalan. He tried, he went out, critics abused him, they, they destroyed him, they tried to tarnish <laughs> his name, everything. Yeah. And then he mm-hmm. comes back to what made him essentially famous. That's, this is the movie he's known for. He's known for The Sixth Sense, but he's also known for Unbreakable. If you ask people, people that are cinephiles, they'll say Unbreakable immediately. People that yeah. like Hollywood films, they'll say Sixth Sense. I get that. Sure. But people like you and me who just love movies are going to very much say Unbreakable. I'm not. Uh, easily. I, exactly. <laughs> it's a much more nuanced film. Uh, although I we can break down the sixth sense quite a bit. I think that this is him again. We'll talk about, and I don't want to like, I'm not making light of any subject again, you know, but this is Shyamalan coming back from war. Right. Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, yeah, it ties into what you're, that PTSD. It's, exactly. it's absolutely that you're, you're nailed it with the village. If anything, he, he does center on these same themes over and over again. And that's because it is him. That's how he yeah. feels. And this is it just so happens. His, his career just happened to follow that arc as well. As exactly. if he needed to build, he needed to build his out credibility just to have a fall big enough for us to buy it <laughs> there you go and that's it i mean it's him basically saying I've, I've shown you many facets of my personality but i understand that this is the one you want to see oh yeah like, oh, doc- sir. <laughs> like dr fletcher saying let me talk to dennis yeah <laughs> so all that's, the film that's critics the fans. exactly the all that's the film hilarious. critics are dr fletcher and they're saying listen yeah, barry go away barry yeah. you extravagant fuck Go away. I want to talk to Dennis. <laughs> the meat freak. Brilliant. I love that. Oh, uh, God. I think that's a good way to close out the show for this week. Is there uh, yeah, anything else you needed to add to? No, my, oh, I, we have destroyed. We have talked this man's career to death. This is definitely a retrospective. <laughs> so I just want to put it out there. If ever this gets to Shyamalan, I love you. I love yep. Shyamalan films. Keep them coming. Take risks. Fuck up. Vince Leo said it best. You were a presence like Brian Palma was. We're going to look back and they're going to realize, holy shit, this guy was, was treated horribly for the time that he was there. Absolutely. And he's allowed. I, to me, he's allowed to take those risks he's allowed to do some chest puffing and be like yeah this is how smart i am look what tarantino does it all the fucking time he has a line in glorious bastards i think this may be my masterpiece motherfucker let me be the judge of that and i, I think that with exactly. Shyamalan, you know it, i love his arrogance like yeah i can do this Abs- oh, i can oh, fool he, you he backs it up it's good exactly. i'm fine with it if you've got if you have the stuff to fucking back it up so that's it for us this week lee you got some shoutouts you want to go? I, I do. I, I, like I promised last episode. Yeah, I printed out a sheet. I Good wrote guy. names down. <laughs> I'm terrible at doing this on the fly, so take extra notice, people. That I, I've literally got your name on a piece of paper to let you know that I meant this. <laughs> So, Al Robinson, thank you for again for the lovely things you've said about yes, um, Mr. Al uh, about our episodes. Uh, you finished our previous retrospective. Super cool of you, Uche. Um, we 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 talked about uh, Beauty and the Beast a little. He was a good sport. <laughs> Yeah, I love you, Jay. Matthew Parkinson from The Escapist. We we have a very curt Twitter relationship, and we we had a few more we have a few more random tweets of each other against each other's reviews and stuff. Very nice. Always appreciate it. Uh, Liam Underwood of Nerd and Nerd. Uh, yeah, you guys chat. Who was surprisingly he was he was surprisingly cool about me bashing the film that he really liked, Hacksaw Ridge. So I mean, <laughs> he took it really well. So I mean, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of uh, pride in your decisions to, to just be so cool. I I I would never be so cool. 
uh, on Chelsea Williford on the Five Minute Movie Guy, we had a, a good chat about what to expect with La La La. And Chelsea was going into it. It was a great chat. So it was it was, it was a really good week. I mean, I talked to pals of other people as well, but those are the ones that were on top of my head when I was writing down a list. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. And where can we find you, sir? Before I close out uh, my thing. Oh yeah, I'm at BigPictureReviews.co.uk. Yep, we've got a new writer coming on board. Uh, actually, close friend of mine and a student who we used to go to the same course in. So she's going to start writing reviews. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up and uh, really looking forward to getting stuff out there. Awesome. You, sir. My shout outs, I have a to shout out to Andrew from the AB Film Review. Uh, if you guys liked Lion, he actually got to interview the uh, writer of the book. I don't remember his name. I'm very sorry. And also, I think he was accompanied by his mother. So if you guys wow. really like that, you go over to the AB Film Review on iTunes and download that episode uh, and give, give the show a listen. I really like it. He does it with his wife, Bernadette, and they're really yeah. entertaining people. They so are very charismatic couple. They're Absolutely. really easy to listen yeah, yeah, yeah. to. Really cool. I love their show very much. I've been tuning in quite a bit for them. So Andrew from AB Film Review. Also, please go over and visit uh, Film Seeker's website and give Neil Ramji a little follow yes. on Twitter. Uh, again, I, I was really impressed by what he had to say with Inherent Vice. Very articulate man. And he always and he has loved something. Lion. Yeah, and he loved Lion. So yeah, so give it a... Tie into that. Go check into that as well. Always the usual suspects. A big shout out to In Session Film for retweeting our stuff. Thank you very much, guys. Brendan and JD. Matty yep. Neggs as well. Thank you very much for uh, everything that you guys have done. And Sheila. Thank you again, Sheila. We have something planned. Again, I haven't necessarily thought out of a way to do what I have planned, but we'll see. So that's it. So you can find me for now at film underscore faculty on Twitter. Uh, please give all the people that we uh, we gave shout outs to a follow and, and say thank you to them as well for uh, producing wonderful content. I guess that's it for us this week. So before I let you go this week, uh, please, if you're on SoundCloud, I comment on the tracks. We love it. Uh, people have been commenting more and more and this has been great. Click yeah, the little definitely. heart, click the little heart, give us a like, you know, and please go <laughs> give us a review on iTunes uh, because that's it. It's going to help us quite a bit. Yeah, I know the following is growing. We have no, no idea idea how this actually works but it makes our egos feel better so i mean do that yeah, yeah that's it nourish our egos make us become as arrogant as m night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, yeah there we go <laughs> that's it so that's it for us this week we hope you guys enjoyed the show give us some feedback on twitter as per usual right on the tracks and so i guess that's it for us this week thank you very much Thanks. bye bye Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.